This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific and Applied Biosystems' new Qualtrack real-time PCR and digital PCR solutions for biopharma. Give your cell and gene therapy development an edge with reliable and accurate qPCR and dPCR workflows backed by a trusted supplier. Explore the complete ecosystem of CGMP-compliant qPCR and dPCR assays, master mixes, and instruments at thermofisher.com slash qPCR slash biopharma. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and my guest for this episode is TC Biopharm's CEO, Brian Koble. TC Biopharm is a publicly traded clinical stage cell therapy company developing advanced allogeneic CAR T cell therapy products for the treatment of cancer, and they are developing gamma delta T cell therapies for the treatment of infectious disease, all of which we will get to in just a second. But first, Brian, welcome to Cell and Gene, the podcast. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, first podcast, so I'm excited to, to test out my chops here. That's great. That's great. Well, hopefully it'll be a smooth ride for both of us. I think we're going to have some fun. Uh, I agree. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So tell us from your perspective, what uh, briefly describe for us TC Biofarm. So TC Biofarm, as you referenced, is a, a T-cell cell therapy company. So specifically what we do is we focus our platform around allogeneic gamma delta T cells and their use in oncology indications, whether that's on a modified basis, which would be a CAR T, for example, uh, or an unmodified basis, just taking the cell and expanding it uh, into the hundreds of millions and billions and putting that into patients uh, where we believe it can have an impact on blood cancers and solid tumors and things of that nature. Uh, the company was founded in 2014 in Scotland, so we have a manufacturing facility there, uh, which helps us avoid some of the bottlenecks people are seeing today in cell therapy. Uh, and it's an exciting time. You know, gammas are an amazing cell. Uh, it's a hot space in biotech today, and I think you know, as cell therapy matures, as it's been doing over the last decade and to light interactions. And for us, the Gamma Deltas as a platform um, just make a lot of sense. So we're excited to be here and, and telling the story. Good, good. Well, we're going to talk through your story for sure. And what I want to start out talking about would be your pipeline and specifically your phase 2B3 clinical trial in the UK using your Omni Immune product for AML. So, and that has been granted FDA orphan drug status, right? Correct. So Omnimune is uh, an orphan drug designated um, technology uh, based off of our phase 1B, 2A data, which was generated in relapsed refractory acute mild leukemia patients. So as you and your listeners will know, you know, those are really sick patients. I mean, palliative care, four to six weeks to live, um, really a horrible disease. Uh, at, at our medium dose in that trial, one dose, um, day one measured at day 28, we were able to see um, blast reductions on average from 38% to 6% um, across the trial. And then at the medium dose, we saw two complete responses. One was a morphologic leukemia-free state. So the bone marrow actually started regenerating. And again, that's off of one dose in a 28-day window. So um, it was really great data to get the orphan drug status. And it gave us confidence to move that product forward into a phase 2B3 trial uh, in second-line AML. So Omnimune 
is uh, a platform allogeneic unmodified gamma delta. So we're taking donor cells, um, donor derived, we're isolating and expanding these gamma deltas into the 700 million, one times 10 to the seven is the dosing right now, and infusing that or actually injecting it into patients in AML who have failed first line induction, uh, and we're doing it as a bridge to transplant. So hopefully giving these people a second shot at a bone marrow transplant, or if it works really well, knock on wood, maybe it's a situation like we saw in our phase 1B2A, where the disease actually um, regresses and we're able to just maintain that disease in remission state, maybe give them multiple doses as we go, um, as we don't see any sort of toxicity associated with it. So that trial has launched. Uh, we'll hopefully begin dosing our patients in the next 60 to 75 days or so. Um, you know, we're working on that right now. And we'll expand that trial into the U.S. as well, uh, most likely by the end of this year, maybe Q1. Uh, and then as we look out uh, with that trial um, towards the end, it'll become an umbrella trial and we'll start looking at ALL, CLL, multiple myeloma, some of the other blood cancers. Um, the premise being really that the, the mechanism of action, which we'll touch on later around gamma deltas is relatively universal to tumor cells. So if this works in AML to the degree that we think it will from an efficacy perspective, we would expect it to work in ALL, CLL, multiple myeloma, as you're really injecting the therapeutic directly into the, into the tumor for blood cancers. So the trial right now, um, as we begin our enrollment, it's uh, the first cohort is 19 patients for the phase 2B. Uh, if again, first line failed induction, um, looking at a stable disease state from our drug um, or our therapeutic and moving them into uh, potentially a bone marrow transplant, or should the, the therapeutic work to the way that we really hope it does for these patients, um, we would just dial it back and continue to dose them and put them on uh, a, a long-term therapeutic in that regard. Nice, nice. Okay. And I, like you said, I do definitely want to dig into the gamma delta T cells in depth. Um, first of all, talk us through what they are, why they're so critical, and also what are the advantages of using gamma delta T cells or GDT cells as a cell therapy vehicle? Yeah, you know, it, it's a really cool cell, right? And I, I, I'll probably sound like a, a bit of a nerd because I've inherited that from the two founders, uh, Dr. Mike Leake and Angela Scott, who are sort of cell therapy junkies. Um, so the gamma delta is your body's first line of defense. So it's really, in, in a way, it's a bouncer, right? Um, so if you ever misbehaved at a bar or any of your listeners have and you've been pulled out of the bar, that's what the gamma is doing. Um, it's floating around the system and it's looking for sick and disease cells. And it identifies those cells around a phosphoantigen that these cells emit called isopentanyl pyrophosphate or IPP for short. And sort of like when a shark smells blood in the water from three miles away and sort of swims toward the carcass of the whale or whatever it is, the gamma does that with IPP. It, it senses the IPP in the system. It begins floating or working its way towards that concentration within the plasma. Uh, and when it finds the source, it affects apoptosis. It kills that cell. What's interesting is healthy cells don't emit IPP, but all tumor cells ever discovered and studied all emit IPP. So we know the gamma kills tumor cells because that's what it creates the dynamic, right? And we know where they're drawn there. Um, one of the issues we see is, you know, the system is immune suppressed and immune compromised by cancer. 
These are sick patients, generally speaking, and the body's immune system isn't able to react quick enough, proliferate healthy gamma deltas or activate the gamma deltas in time to kill the, the, in the blood cancer, kill those cells and the tumor cells that are solid tumors, you know, obviously getting out of the vasculature and into the tissue is a complex scenario for the gammas. They do do it. We see the evidence in solid tumors uh, of gammas going to the site. Um, at that point, we, the premises, they're just too inert. They're too tired from fighting off other areas of cancer. Um, so they can't actually affect their job. Interestingly enough, the gamma isn't the only part of that puzzle, right? The gamma is also a bit of an orchestrator. So if a gamma delta, because it plays between the innate and adaptive parts of the immune system, if a gamma delta goes to a tumor site or an infection site, even for example, we see them sometimes in uh, fungal infections in the gut, for example, they will drag with them the other immune responders. So if a gamma goes to a site, they're gonna bring the NK cells, they're gonna bring all the other you know, macrophages and everybody else. So they're sort of like, not just a bouncer, they're almost like a gang leader, right? And you know, the general idea here is when you have systems that are suppressed, compromised, patients that are sick um, with, with cancer um, and their immune systems are sort of unable to take the battle themselves, right? The idea is, can we infuse these fighters to an outsized degree, almost as a reinforcement and let them do their job? What I think is interesting and makes the Gamma Delta you know, from a cell therapy perspective, um, really important and also a really good vehicle is not only are they a, a, a great fighter, they're also that great orchestrator. And on an allogeneic basis, you know, they come ready to fight and they also are not MHC restricted. So we don't see any sort of graft versus host disease. Um, we don't have to HLA match because we don't have that issue around MHC. Um, I sort of, I make the joke because we're from Scotland. Like if you've ever seen the Braveheart, um, mm -hmm scene where the Irish are recruited by the British and they run to the middle of the field and the Irish and Scottish turn around and fight the British. That, that's kind of what happens. Like our gammas go in, they're healthy and they're activated and they, they want to fight something. And the immune system of the patient, while it's downtrodden, you know, it's still trying to fight. It's not like it just gives up. Right. So they sort of recognize these other gammas that we've put in there exogenously and said, okay, you guys are good guys. Let's turn around. Let's try and get ourselves back in the fight. Right. So you do see almost a bit of an immune response created by this new fighter, um, which is a, a really great scenario for these patients. It puts them in a much better you know, position now to fight things off. You know, and it's when you look at cell therapy and, and how does that matter? You know, you're looking at a lot of NK cells you can bring in you know, on an unmodified basis. You know, we're not asking the immune system to do something it hasn't been doing for millennia, right? The immune system operates the way it does and keeps us healthy because it's a very, very well-oiled machine, right? Nature is undefeated. So mm -hmm. if we can just do what nature does a little bit you know, better or give you a little bit more of that nature, which is sort of what we're doing, um, you know, it's a healthy way of approaching it, right? There's no toxicity associated because those cells are already naturally occurring. Your body's used to those cells. Um, this, we're not asking the cell to do something different. We're not editing things in and out to where you might lose a portion of that cell's response rate. Um, so you know, so far the data has played out well for us and it seems to support the premise that, you know, we can put hundreds of millions, billions of these cells into sick patients, not see any sort of toxicity and also still see a, a you know, an outsized efficacy response. Um, and we look to continue to expand on that premise um, as we move into other blood cancers and, you know, solid tumors in varying degrees.
Good, good, great. Thank you. That was a, an exceptionally insightful explanation of the gamma delta T cells and how TC Bioform is using them. I want to talk a little bit now about how TC Biofarm conducts and manages its own clinical trials using your own in-house team and what that looks like. So first of all, talk to us about the why behind conducting and managing your own trials. Yeah, you know, and this is, I I don't ever want to sound like I'm negative towards any part of the industry because people are doing amazing things every day in in healthcare and life sciences. Um, But I think, you know, cell therapy, when we launched TCB and Gamma Delta specifically, you're talking 2014, I think the company was founded. You know, that was still really early stages of cell therapy. I mean, it, it still is early stages of cell therapy. I mean, you've got things coming behind us, you know, macrophages, mitochondrial, all these types of amazing things. We're learning more and more about cell therapy every single day as we learn more about the immune system. So in the early stages of cell therapy or any industry, and specifically the early stages of gamma deltas, you know, we had to make a decision. Realistically, we felt like we had the best knowledge base of these gammas and of these cells to where putting our future in a third party's hands that maybe didn't understand what we were trying to do, didn't really understand the gamma deltas. Um, That's why we built our own manufacturing facility, for example. Um, It it just didn't make in our head a lot of sense, right? It, It almost seemed sort of, you know, a little bit of an insanity approach, like, hey, we know what we want best. We think this is really good. Here's what this thing does. And then we're going to take that and give it to somebody who's used to just running clinical trials with a small molecule, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a really specific, it's gotten less, I should say less specialized, but it's certainly become, um, you know, more prevalent across the board in cell therapy. But you're talking about at the time, maybe sites that didn't have uh, cell therapy capabilities in the pharmaceutical, especially pharmacy, right? Or it didn't even have a specialty pharmacy. So all of those things factored into how do we, put ourselves in the best position to be successful, not just in regards to what success looked like for the patient and put this, you know, recruit the right patients, find the right clinical sites, all those things, have those discussions on our own because we understand better what we're trying to do and we understand better what this cell does, but also how do we do it in a way that's economic for the company? And, you know, doing that, a lot of that just came back. The more we looked at it, the more it said, hey, we should really be doing this in-house, right? Um, mm-hmm. The CROs are going to be expensive. And that's relatively so far proven out. We can run clinical trials for a tenth the cost right now um, of what it would cost us to run them in the U.S. using a CRO. And I think, you know, what I would suggest for other companies within Europe, I can't speak for the U.S., but, you know, being able to access, especially on a cell therapy basis, um, the MHRA early on and run these clinical trials in humans pretty much off the bat, you know, we didn't do really any preclinical work. And by managing that internally, we were able to get really, really good safety data that we can now take to the US and have taken to the US for the efficacy that we saw in that for orphan drug status and also to now launch FDA trials. So that premise was allowing us to one, put the asset in the best possible position to be successful because we were dealing directly with the clinics and dealing directly with the PIs and the CIs and having one-on-one conversation and CI, sorry, and having one-on-one conversations saying, hey, here's how the asset needs to be put into the patient. Here's the ideal patient. Here's all of the steps you need to take, right? The lymphodepletion, all these things. Here's where we want to be. That one-to-one 
um, of us understanding how the Gamma Delta works and the CIs and the PIs understanding the disease that we were going after. Um, that is, an, frankly, an irreplaceable conversation, right? Doing that through a third party, um, you always have loss in translation, no matter how good that third party is. And then on the flip side of that, you know, we were able to save ourselves a substantial amount of capital uh, and really move this company forward on a, a relatively shoestring budget. Nice. And, you know, my next question for you is, for the companies and the, you know, the, whether they're startups or new and emerging biotechs who are looking to do the same thing, whether they are in Europe or perhaps we can, you know, extrapolate some of those learnings into, you know, companies in the US, what are the most important learnings you think um, other clinical stage companies who are looking to do the same thing? What would you, what, what are the best practices you would offer them? Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that over the course of that life, you sort of stub your toe on and you, you look back and go, if I could do it again, I probably wouldn't take that step. I, I sort of make the joke that, you know, we were, you know, we were the first Gamma Delta company in the clinic. We're the most, the farthest advanced, if you will. Um, we're the first pivotal Gamma Delta trial. So I, I sort of tell our people all the time, you know, we're in this cell therapy Gamma Delta jungle and we're sort of swinging this machete and every step we take, it's either a gold brick or it's a pit of snakes. And there's mm -hmm. very rarely is there an in-between, right? Where it's just a, a, a patch of ground. Um, so there are a lot of lessons we would have to impart and that would probably be a whole separate podcast. Uh, sure. But what I think, you know, the early on mistakes we made, one, you know, we, we went down the autologous route and for us that didn't work. Um, you know, if you just step back, it's going to be a small patient population that you can really treat because these patients are really sick. So the cells you're getting are inherently very sick, um, or at least inert and tired. Um, beyond that, it's not really economical, right? It's, it's really expensive and you're not able to treat the patient quickly because you have to, you know, apheresis, then you have to ship it back to your production facility. You have to go through your production process. So let's say that's four weeks. You know, these are patients that have many times not that not you know, the, the disease is advanced enough that that window four to six weeks of you producing it and getting it back into them could be catastrophic in their treatment paradigm. So I certainly think there will be a place for autologous therapies always. Um, I'm not saying that there won't be, but I do think that the future will be broadly speaking allogeneic because of those needs. So I would tell these companies, you know, get away from autologous as soon as you can, if you and if you can, and try and put yourself in a position to treat as many patients as you possibly can, right? That's how you get economies of scale. Yeah. I would tell you that if you're a cell therapy company, you need to own your own product. So you need to be vertically integrated. Um, you really can't outsource this stuff. Uh, it's, a, it's a bottleneck. And not only is it a bottleneck from a production perspective, which you're seeing now companies try to, to leapfrog that. Resilience is a great example. Um, they bought Bluebird's facility in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. They partnered with MD Anderson and CTMC. You know, you're seeing cell therapy manufacturing capabilities jump up everywhere, which is great because I hope they get there. Um, but at the same time, you know, cell therapy, it, this isn't a small molecule. It's not a chemistry that you can sort of send to somebody and they can just reproduce that, right? These cells are living organisms. They're, they're changing, they're adapting. Um, and working with them every single day on a manufacturing basis, on a production basis, gives you a, a huge knowledge base, which is a competitive advantage. But more importantly, it allows you to understand your product better. And I think one of the things that we have that is maybe 
I guess, an off balance sheet asset, if you would, or something of that nature, um, you know, an intangible asset is that knowledge base we've gleaned from working with these cells every single day since 2014. There's not a lot, you know, relative to knowledge base, I would still say we're scratching the surface of gamma deltas, broadly mm -hmm. speaking, but certainly I would argue that we are the thought leaders in that space and we probably know as much as anybody out there collectively. Um, and you need to have that in cell therapy. You need to understand what it is you're working with every single day and how they're going to operate. You see little missteps by companies that are huge, that maybe aren't doing that. And that's because they maybe missed a step when they were, you know, not working with the cell on a Tuesday because they sent the production out to somebody else. So I would tell you, you need to own that production facility. Um, and then I think, you know, I, I think cell therapy still has a lot of room to grow. And so don't be afraid to make those mistakes, right? This, this is still a very early stage of cell therapy, right? That's just where we are. We don't understand everything. There are diff different subvariants to gamma deltas. Adisets working in gamma delta subvariant ones doing an amazing job. You know, we're in gamma delta subvariant two. I think we're doing an amazing job, but there's other subvariants, right? So go out there, chase that holy grail, try and see what you can do and be comfortable knowing you're going to make mistakes. I used to have a, a mentor, uh, I guess I still do have a mentor, Jolene Crusoe Fitzgerald, who used to tell me, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. I think I think inherently that's what cell therapy is because every time you work with the cell, you're learning something, right? And, and every day there's new data coming out around NK cells and macrophages and gamma deltas every day too. So, you know, there's going to be mistakes along the way. There's going to be hiccups. There's going to be stumbles. Um, people are going to not agree with you. People are going to not believe what you're telling them. Um, you can't let that deter you or, or and you, sometimes you can't view those mistakes as catastrophic failures. You have to view them as a really, really good learning experience and really a, a new knowledge base. And you can take that knowledge and utilize it elsewhere. So um, all those things factor into, I think, building what hopes to be a successful cell therapy company. And I think you need to early on define what you think about success, right? Um, and what that means. I think um, you can, this is biotech, it's drug development, right? So you fail 90 some odd percent of the time, right? So, so success doesn't always mean success, right? Sometimes it means right. something different. That's amazing. And, and that was a, a lot of really good specific actionable information for our listeners on not only the why behind having uh you know clinical trials in-house but uh some really good information for companies who are looking to do the same thing so thank you um talk to us about what's next for tcb what the, the near-term future what are we looking at we have a lot of exciting things going on sort of the you know it's it's kind of cool to be in a position where you know you're in not only a hot area of biotech but you have such a great knowledge base of it and you can look out and say, okay, we have all these options, which ones do you want to go after? And I think for us, you know, the, the clear and present is the obvious, which is the phase 2B3 trial in AML and in uh, other blood cancers, which obviously when we get into the US is exciting. Um, but now we're looking broader than that. So we're starting to look at solid tumors uh, and we have two approaches we're looking at. We have a, a good amount of IP around a product uh, that of a card gamma delta. So looking at how the gamma delta's innate mechanism of action works around isopentanol pyrophosphate, again, 
what we've done is create a gamma delta with a car on it. So um, let's use B7H3, uh, which is a, a, a binder for, uh, or a T cell receptor that would be around glioblastoma, neuroblastoma, um, ovarian cancer. So if we have a card gamma delta and, the, and that B7H3 T cell receptor attaches to a healthy cell, that healthy cell is not emitting IPP. So the gamma delta won't attach its T cell receptor. And we've created a biological circuit. So the activation signal gets sent from the car, but it doesn't get sent from the gamma delta. So that circuit is not complete. So there's no toxicity and the car actually will break away. We've shown this in the lab. The car will actually break away and try and go find something that it can kill, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a hungry wolf. Um, when that car does find a tumor cell that's emitting IPP, the car will attach and send its activation signal. The gamma delta will sniff that IPP. It'll attach its T, T cell receptor uh, and that will complete the biological circuit and that will attack uh, the solid tumor. In our head, um, that is an on-off switch. So you can avoid on-site off-tumor toxicity. You can dose enough of these to get them into the vasculature and, and out of the tissue or sort of out of the vasculature and into the tissue. Um, so that's one angle we're looking at for solid tumors. And then on the other side, we're looking at a number of combination therapies, um, checkpoint inhibitors, bispecific antibodies. Um, you know, a lot of these companies that are talking about turning the cold tumor hot a lot of that is turning the cold tumor hot for gamma deltas, right? They're trying to drag gamma deltas into the system. Um, Lava Therapeutics is doing that. Uh, Imchek is doing that as well. So when we look at those types of stories, you know, one of the core components, if you're trying to do that, is the premise that you've got healthy gamma deltas that are activated and can actually do their job. Um, and, and Mike, our, our co-founder, calls it the iceberg problem. Um, so you've got this tip of the iceberg that's above the water that you can see. And those are all the patients that have healthy activated gamma deltas above a threshold. Well, the largest part of the iceberg, as we all know, is below the ocean, right? So there's a huge patient population below that threshold where the gamma deltas might go to the tumor, but they're so exhausted, uh, you know, that they're, or they're inert and they can't do their job. They can't kill the tumor because they've been fighting elsewhere, right? Um, or you just don't have any gamma deltas at all because your system's completely beat up. Well, the most obvious solution there is you take exogenous gamma deltas that are allogeneic from a donor and you push them into the system like ours that are activated. And those activated gamma deltas will then fly to these sites and kill those solid tumors. So we're looking at a lot of those approaches and at the end of the day, you know, I think the next step for cell therapy as an industry, frankly, is moving from allogeneic to uh, some type of universal cell. So, you know, inherently, if we keep going down the path of donors and we keep growing in cell therapy, which I think we will, because I think that's the future of therapeutics, um, you know, it's a natural approach, it's less toxic, it can hopefully be efficacious, and we'll learn how to make these cell therapies more efficacious. Um, but inherently, you have a limited supply. There's only, there's only so many donors in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So um, at some point, the, the, the industry of cell therapy is going to have to start moving away from uh, not just autologous and donors, but you're going to have to start moving into something like an IPSC or a universal cell where you can create a more limitless supply. So you know, those are all the things we're looking at um, over the next, call it you know, 12, 24, 36 months uh, of the company. And you know, we're lucky. We've got 75 great employees and they have me 
um, the 76th and most pointless employee. Um, <laughs> but we've got incredible people in our R&D group. We've got incredible people in operations, you know, beyond just the C-suite. Um, Sebastian Wanless, who's running our clinical team, is incredible. Emilio uh, Cosimo, who runs our development, is absolutely stellar. Um, Daria, and I apologize, Daria, I'm not going to try and say your last name because uh, I don't want to offend you, um, but she's equally incredible and is really advancing things in that sort of um, universal cell arena. So, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have these people, you know, doing just wonderful work every single day tirelessly. So, you know, I'm excited to see what they do next. For sure. Absolutely. And it, it certainly takes a village. So, uh, and it sounds like I, I, it's hard to even recap what all of what TCB has going on now and, you know, in the very short term. And I would love to have you back on another podcast to talk specifically about uh, the concept and, and your thoughts on universal cell and what's, what's next for that and, and kind of that whole, that whole topic. Um, yeah. I'd, so I'd love great. to come back. Yeah. I'd love to come back and talk about that. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, so I'm in San Diego right now at, at bio. So um, mm -hmm. I got a chance to check out a lot of what's going on. Notch Therapeutics is doing incredible things in the IPSC space. Um, Blue Rock Therapeutics is doing great things and have been doing great things for a while now. Um, that space is really exciting. And I'm, I, I can't wait to see what, what those companies do. And I can't wait to see what Dari and our team do. For sure. For sure. Um, all right. Well, we've, we've sort of come to the formal end of our discussion. And at the end of every podcast, as my listeners know, I always like to talk to my guests about who they are outside of the office of the lab. And so my question for you, Brian, is what are your favorite summer, summertime activities? You know, spending time with family, outdoor time? Do you go to the shore? What's your, what do you like to do? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's probably a combination. You know, I, I tend to try and take the time in the summer to see family and see friends that I tend to neglect in the prior 10 months. Sure. Um, and usually that involves some form of golf. You know, my dad and I tend to play pretty often. Uh, my mom's really into it. So we'll play. I'm actually going on a go charity golf outing next weekend uh, with a couple of friends. Uh, and all of that now encapsulates also bringing my, uh, my puppy along with me. So she's about a year and a half. Um, so luckily she's very well behaved in the golf course. Um, but she's got a lot of energy at, you know, 15 pounds. She's a little micro golden doodle. So, um, so she comes with me to the beach and she comes with me to golf. And, you know, the only rule I think I have probably in life that's hard and fast is if I go, she goes. So, mm -hmm. uh, so that's been a, it's been a whirlwind for her and for me. Um, but yeah, it's a, the summertime is a great experience, right? It gives you, the, the sun's a great mood booster. Um, you know, it gives you a chance to relax and see friends and not be really concerned. And with everything that's going on in the world, I think we all need a little bit of a, a respite. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Some, some sunshine and fresh air. It's their medicine. I think they're, it can, gives you a whole new perspective and congratulations on your puppy. Uh, she, is she? It she, is a she. I'll bring her on next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we recently rescued a dog. Um, she's, we don't know how old she is, but she's between four and seven. And um, my daughter, uh, you know, petitioned hard for about two years to uh, throughout the pandemic to adopt a dog. And we finally did. And let me tell you, uh, if you asked me two years ago, would I ever do it? Did I need to bring in another living, breathing thing to care for in my house? I would have said, Absolutely not. But here we are. And let me tell you, she's a love. So I know exactly how you feel. It's it's crazy, right? She's uh so I I, I generally take her with me on relatively short flights. So 
like two hours and less, she's pretty comfortable, right? A little bit of CBD actually helps her and she gets yeah, fine. Yeah, we're, sure. we're, we're extending that out to a couple hours, hopefully. So the trip to California is a little bit long for her. Um, so I left her with my, with my, her grandparents and my parents. Um, <laughs> and I, I think um, there's going to be a bit of a tug of war over ownership when I get back because the pictures I'm getting imply that uh, that they're going to want to hang on to her a little longer. <laughs> they're going to keep her, I'm sure. That's how it, that's how it always goes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, listeners. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Sell and Gene, the podcast featuring TC Biofarms, Brian Coble. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun and exceptionally informational. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate the time and uh, looking forward to speaking to you again soon. Good, good. Uh, be sure to visit Cell and Gene to read our timely editorial and to register for our newsletter. And we'll talk to you next time.